Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. And oh, I am so excited today because we are talking to an academic, but this woman, <laughs> she's she's in the weeds. She knows information retrieval inside out. She actually teaches a course as a professor at the University of Washington um, every year. Marianne Sweeney, she's the principal consultant of Deadless Information Systems. She's past president of the Information Architecture Institute and a frequent speaker at AI. UX, SEO, and digital marketing conferences all over. She's a great follow on Twitter, and she has been neck deep, kind of beating the drum on responsibly, you know, taking all this AI and LLMs and the changing nature of search in stride and trying to educate us, the SEO community. Thanks for joining me today, Marianne. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, Garrett. I'm very excited to be here. Oh my gosh, there's so much that we can talk about. It's going to be so hard not to go into tangents because this topic is so fascinating. But just to kind of start us off, I'm curious, from an SEO perspective, you're in the classroom, you're always kind of, you know, keep keeping your claws sharp when it comes to what's going on in our world of Google. What's the biggest message that you're always trying to get across in your courses for your students? So for my students, my uh, point is to get them interested in what's happening, not to be just dialed into where they are, whether they're going to be librarians or information architects, that the landscape around is changing and moving, becoming more sophisticated and more intelligent. And I put quote marks around that. Uh, and we need to become more sophisticated and intelligent and pay attention. I think one of my favorite poems is from Mary Oliver when she said, Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. And I believe the SEO community needs to direct its attention in the area of these new applications and models beyond just how cool they are. So, so what's that mean? Like, what do you think SEOs should be paying attention to? Because there's a lot of information in there and not everyone's the most technical. That's true. And believe me, they should sharpen those claws because that's where we will be able to make a difference is in the technical infrastructure. So one thing I always want to iterate uh, to use the joke that Morty Overstein plays on Barry Schwartz, and that is none of this is new. The first chatbot was rolled out in the 1960s by Joseph Weisbaum. It was called Eliza. And as Jess Peck showed us in one of her tweets, in a write-up in the Seattle Chronicle at the time, his uh, research assistant asked him to leave the room while she asked this application personal questions, even though she had been part of the development, knowing that it was all technology. So it's not magic, it's not smoke and mirrors. One thing it is, and that big change is, is that it's gone from purely the matching terms to predicting what people want. So they have created massive networks that can literally read the entire web and then use guidelines to determine, much like a successful Las Vegas gambler, what number is going to come up and pretty successfully predict that. So we've gone from a calculated SERP to a predicted SERP, one that we have very little control over or less than we had before because it, the system is making internal decisions that we don't know or understand. So now our focus has to shift on what the system is learning from. And that's our content, our websites, how they're connected and how they work. 
I so the one of the big things that I actually have seen come up is is this idea of the quality of search results has actually degraded over time. And you know, I think Google is scrambling to some extent to improve those to that point of the complex nature of the SERPs. Do you think that's the case? Is it is that do you think the SERPs are getting better or worse? So two things have happened from my point of view as a behaviorist, as someone whose role is really about looking at how people engage and behave with, not in the you know random calculation of how things appear in an order. Uh, yes, so the, the search engine results pages have become more complex. Not only that, Google and Bing and some of the others have become more successful at answering what we want on the SERPs page. So the idea is with quick answers, people also ask in snippets. You don't have to click through to get the complete context of that answer that's being provided. So when people say they've degraded, I'm not quite sure what that means. If it means have they degraded in the sense that people aren't getting the complete story or that they're not clicking through to the end result, or more importantly, that they're not looking at what's on the bottom of the page or on page two or on page three. Do we discover anything anymore when we go to the SERPs or do we just get what we were looking for in the first place? And that's such an interesting too, thing too, because I think the conversations do come um, about with like TikTok and Reddit and, you know, like Google's trying to do its own Google Explore to your point of discovery and they have their own discover feed. But I do want to tie it back a little to um, the whole conversation around chatbots and LLMs because it is very becoming very mainstream with SEOs. It is very much at the forefront. And you kind of touched on it with the whole smoke and mirrors uh, aspect of the way that these LLMs actually work and predict text. But what do you think are the most common misconceptions from SEOs regarding these tools? Uh, I would say that the most common misconception is that they are going to be widely used. Mm -hmm. um, that the answers they give us are direct and true, uh, and that uh, they will not become a major influence on how people search for certain types of information. So when I'm walking down the street and I'm looking for a particular item or shop or restaurant type, I'm not going to use chatbot search for that. Right. So what we're looking at is, what will people be using chatbot search for? Will it be for the transactional queries? Probably not. Will it be for the navigational queries? Probably not. So what type of information behavior is going to best be satisfied using that tool? So that's the, the shiny bright object that they're, they're distracting us with. Deep rank, Google's AI driven rank has been in use fully since 2016, as far as I know. They started introducing it and developing it in 2014 when they acquired um, the, the Demis Hesibus company. Uh, oh, anyway, DeepMind. And right. actually, they really started using it in 2010 with Caffeine. So we look, go back and look at that, at how Google is indexing what they present and then how they are using external applications and algorithms to process that information into a dynamic display of search results that they hope satisfies the information need. 
So that's interesting that you bring up DeepMind because uh, you know this this podcast is actually going to be published like in a week, but a week or so ago they announced this kind of integration yes. of the DeepMind team and the main AI team with, with Jeff Dean kind of leading things at Google in this whole new search engine of Project Magic that's going to be focused on personalization and focused on transactions. What do you think? What do you predict are the implications of that? Well, what's interesting is that's always been going on. So DeepMind has existed off to the side. And Hasibus is really the one that promoted the idea of uh, deep neural networks, which is powering a lot of what's displayed through all of these things. He's scary bright. Um, And so the surprise is that Google felt the need to tell us. And I believe that may be more tied to their stockholders and to their, you know, investors after the BARD uh, display where the stock dropped 10% because it made a calculation error. Gee, I'm glad that wasn't the consequence when I did that in school. Um, So, yes, I'm always surprised when Google admits to what we've known all along. You know, we've known all along that they personal that they've been collecting personal data since 2002, uh, and that's why I'm surprised when the SEO community is like, "How dare you read my content? How dare you use my content to, um, you know, educate your system?" And I'm like, "Wow, did you not read that TOC that you agreed to just by using their service, just by publishing stuff up to the web? You allow it to be used for." items that you didn't think you that it would be used for. So so I just think we need to clue in and and drive to where, you know, the goal is and not pay attention to what's going on off, off to the side. Except I mean, oh, there's so much to unpack. There's so much. Yeah. Well, and so like to your point, Sorry. it's a PR play, but it's also like it's a very much this is another conversation of the rock and the hard place of the fact that these LLMs are using content from your website to train their large language models. That's a whole other like copyright choice of like whether or not you do block the robots from from accessing your content, whether or not they're even going to respect that and begin with. But bringing it back to the the chatbots, you know, it there are obviously valuable uses for using ChatGPT and Bard and Bing. How how would you like to see SEOs using these chatbots? So, well, for as I said, you know, in another conversation, the way I use it is to uh, ask the chatbot what are what is the perception of dataless information systems. Like, what are the benefits to using that product and service or that individual? Um, What are the drawbacks that you have there? And then I show it to the client and I say, do you agree with this? Because this is the content that's resonating about you and about what you do and about what you deliver. So if you don't agree with this, that's our starting point. We need to create content. We need to create a narrative and a connected dynamic content structure that supports what you do want them to know. The other way I used it is I was in a conversation yesterday with a client that wanted to connect GA4 to Salesforce campaigns. So I spent hours, you know, reading various blog posts, looking at various webinars, looking at various guides, looking at all of that. And then I went to BARD and I said, how do you do it? And got a coherent, stepped out, wonderful guide 
not only from the Google Analytics point of view, but also from the Salesforce point of view. That's the benefit of using an application that can read the entire web. Do you, how do you balance being able to trust the information versus, because I mean, there's always this trust and verify, but in that specific use case, the hope is you can go through the step-by-step process and it's accurate. Like, do you think that most of the time that's going to be the case? Or do you think that we need a kind of put on a different hat when we use these tools for those purposes? I think you should always trust it. And thankfully, I know enough about GA4 to have, you know, validated what they were saying to say, yeah, that's exactly the sequence that I'm aware of from the learnings that I have. In other circumstances, you are going to be flying blind. And that's what we do with SEO now. You know, oh, yeah, put these keywords in your title and see what happens. Or, you know, I can map your user journey and this is the type of content that you should have. You put it out there, and Google has been doing this for years, in the production environment, see what happens, and then roll it back if it doesn't work. The more classic example is their first facial recognition when uh, it uh, recognized a black couple as being gorillas. Now, that's that's messed up. I know. I know. Gee, that's sad. Wish you had tested that a little more. And also, I wish that you had your developers code more than four shades of black skin and then create a sequence of events that says, if this, if it doesn't match here, then you go to the next category and you match there. So, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that, that's a problem. And I mean, that's a, that's something like our founder, um, I pull rank Mike has pull, pointed out. Well, Reynolds did it at a Moz conference. It's like, you know, if you look up doctor, they did a lot with images, you know, just an image search when you look up doctor and it was just all these old white dudes and you didn't see any sort of diversity there. And it makes you feel helpless because it is a reflection of the content in our society. And Who's the impetus on? Is the impetus on content creators to get more diversity out there? Or is the impetus on the algorithm creators to take that into consideration when they're when they're trying to make these not biased output output? Garrett, 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 it's always the technology. It's never us. <laughs> um, so you've touched on an incredibly uh, important issue, and uh, Brittany's been posting on this on Twitter for quite some time about how you'll put a sentence in, and this is where prompts are so important about, you know, the professor called on the student, and the student answered the question wrong, and the professor said, you know, you're adult. Who is the professor, and who is, you know, who's the man, and who's the woman? It's the ultimate Turing test, and it's still being failed. Part of the issue is this bias is not intentional, meaning it, algorithms are created by individuals who grew up in cultures where women weren't VPs, weren't presidents, weren't doctors. And so it's sort of an inherent uh, uh, bias. And the solution is to get more of us involved into the design and development of these applications, whether it's information architects, that have done categorization and labeling and ontologies and structures, whether it's user experience people who have done ethnographic studies on site or user studies, whether it's content strategists who have done the same, whether it's SEOs who are directly connected to the businesses. There's no reason that practitioners couldn't be part of 
the design, development, and deployment of these applications, and that's where the answer lies. And, and it's interesting because you do see Google try to mitigate some of it when they're trying to do, you know, these these um, giving multiple perspectives in the initial version of Bard. I, you know, I think about the query. Um, you know, your query matters in existing search engines, where it's like if I ask Google, "Is coffee good for you?" I'm actually going to get different results than I ask, "Is coffee bad for you?" Right. right? And so it's like, it's a very tricky thing of the algorithms to crack that code, crack that, you know, that, that problem of how do I surface different subjective opinions that show a wide range of perspectives in the most efficient way? Exactly. And again, it's, they don't do that. You know, the developers are rarely, if ever on support calls. But that's how they find out that their products don't work so well. And that's been my, um, I want to say, sort of individual holy war is to find a way to get all of these people in the room to create a symposium where we have computer scientists that are working on this. We have SEOs. We have content strategists. All the individuals talk about or all the disciplines talk about what their core focus is and the elements that they can bring to the table. And then the last part of it is we all get in a room together and talk about solutions. You know, you have Yenchen Choi over at the University of Washington who's working on common sense algorithms, common sense AI, how to build that in. And you have Gary Marcus who's been talking forever about the issues with large language models. Wouldn't it be great if we could get Mike and Gary and Yenchen Choi and the other computer scientists and some of the great content strategists in a room, and we all start talking about working together to solve this. It's so hard not to be a skeptic when you put like capitalism into and commercialism into the equation. Cause you saw with the future of life, it's like they had that whole partition of like everybody stop training your, you know, right. LLMs for six months. Um, so we can do this. And everyone called out with the, you know, Elon Musk's of the world and 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 the the Wozniak saying, like, well, that's just your capital interests wanting to catch up because you know, open AI is already so far ahead. Are you a skeptic or do you believe a organization of academics and practitioners and capitalists can get together and make that happen? So I'm a hopeless romantic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I believe that it can happen and I'm determined to make it happen. Uh, and I have no patience uh, for individuals who, as I was trained when I worked at Microsoft, don't bring me a problem unless you bring me a solution. It doesn't have to be the right solution. We just have to be thinking along those lines. So there is no good achieved from individuals that throw rocks from the sidelines and say, what a terrible idea. Your motivation is so, you know, uh, monetary and that give nothing to replace it. Give me yeah. nothing in exchange to say, well, what will work? How about coming up for that space? So we won't know if it works or if it doesn't work until we do it, until we get everyone in the room. I, I agree. That's I mean, that's our leader. My, yeah. As part of my role, I have worked on personalization teams where we've talked about, you know, AI and how to do that. I appreciated being in the room. I didn't appreciate being the only person to say, you know, wouldn't it be great if we gave the customer some control over whether they wanted AI to give them their answers? 
because that's what we need. We need people to fight for it. I think about, you know, in our SEO industry, like the Arijabwalis, where it's like you have these diversity issues and then you have someone who's actually going and building communities and making a difference and making a change. I I did want to ask you with everything that we cover, Marion, like in terms of changing nature of the SERPs and LLMs and chats, is there any way from your perspective that SEOs can future-proof their role in the industry? Like what practical steps should an SEO take? There are two. One is you should focus on what you can directly control hands-on, which is your site, your content, your links, your out and in, you know, your uh, observations of the analytics and how you direct the journey uh, that people take, uh, that you clearly define what conversions are, your mm-hmm. macro conversions, which are the ones that are most important. And the micro conversions, which are the ones that lead up to that, the newsletter subscriptions, the white paper downloads, all of that. Secondarily, that we become and remain intellectually curious about what other people are doing. I know very little about um, development, whether it's JavaScript or uh, Python or any of those. But I'm intensely curious about what goes on. And I've learned enough to ask important questions that help me better understand. So we need to keep doing that. We can't just keep focusing on what always worked. We need to start looking for new tools and new methods. And we need to start now. We actually should have started months ago, but now would be good. And and to that point, it almost feels... I feel like in general, people in our space feel overwhelmed by the innovation of you know, LLMs and AI, how are you staying on top of what's happening right now? Like without feeling, without getting drowned by the noise? I'm very selective about what I um, choose to focus on. So uh, I pay attention to a lot of webinars that talk about algorithmic bias and about uh, the large language models and how we can address the issues there. Uh, I'm still on Twitter because even after Elon Musk uh, and what he's been doing, it is the best intersection of computer science. So I follow people who are in the computer science world from Margaret Mitchell at Hugging Face to uh, Kate Crawford at AI Now to uh, individuals who are working in governance, all of those people. That's the best environment for me to scan through and say, I want to read this or I need to know about this. And it's the same with the SEOs uh, that are in this space and also the ones that continue to sort of work in the fields of the you know, tactical, change your product reviews, put keywords in your titles. I, I guess that Margaret Mitchell has been a awesome follow on Twitter recently. Like she is so vocal about the issues that are happening right now and just educating all of us on yes. you know the way we think about LLMs. I'm okay. So this is, you know, I asked you, I was like, one of the questions I'm going to ask you at the end of the podcast is what are your predictions for the next 12 to 24 months when it comes to like AI, LMs and SEO? And you're like, you're going to have to wait to see my predictions on there. So, so lay it on me. What do you think is going to happen over the next year or two? Uh, I think that they are going to become more prominent uh, in the SERPs, meaning that their use will become more prominent in the availability to the everyone writ large, that as we all start using them, they will become better and more precise. 
because they operate on a feedback loop, a human behavior input feedback loop, um, that I will continue to laugh uproariously at terms like prompt engineers because prompts are queries. Prompts are just very long queries put into the box. Uh, and the difference is that the chatbot is predicting and giving an answer that's based on having analyzed the entire web. Mm -hmm. uh, and the regular SERPs is giving us an answer that is drawn from a corpus of pages that are deemed to be relevant to what we want. So uh, it will be very interesting. I live in hope that SEO will become more interested in machine learning beyond just the odd ML for SEO. We need to go a little deeper than that. And um, if I never hear again that you have to write a certain amount of words on a topic in order to rank for it, I will die a happy woman on the spot. Oh my gosh. That was, that was something that, that you and I were talking about right before this episode is like, oh as SEOs, we desperately want this roadmap, these best practices. If I can follow this instruction manual recipe book to you be to gain visibility, that's what I'll do. And so you're kind of saying like going forward, that that's just not the case. That's never been the case and it's not going to be the case. It's it it may have an influence. Certainly it does in terms of behavior. They have done studies where they say that, you know, if, if there are uh, relevant keywords in the title, then people will click on it more. Or if you write an action voice, that's UX, everyone. That's not SEO. Uh, so, again, cross discipline. Uh, but we cannot uh, diminish the implications of what's going on behind the scenes. And we need to. Uh, focus on what people do when they get on our site. I tell customers, Google is now tracking the same 25 events across all of the websites that they uh, have control over as a result of participation in the analytics. Those are the dominant signals for relevance, the ones that they're tracking. Surprisingly enough, they give us that information. So those are the conversion points that you should be looking at. The other thing they're tracking are the connection between content. And I think there's nothing more tragic on a site than to come to a dead end. I, I can't tell you how many clients I look at their insights section or their blog section. There are no links on those to the products and services that the company does. Well, so how much direct traffic comes in there? This is the type of SEO that I think is going to make a difference. I, it, I'm so with you on that. And there is that move towards more of a semantic web anyway, you know, actually, imp, you know, implementing semantic markup in the HTML to, to kind of feed to Google the, this idea of entities as opposed to like piece by piece, tactic by tactic, right? Exactly. And those tactics work for a long time. So we have no one to blame but ourselves. I mean, we have no one to blame but ourselves that links are no longer important. And, and believe me, every time I see someone promote, well, you should have a backlink strategy that does this. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, an angel just lost its wings in heaven. Like Google just told us, I mean, ages ago and, and again and again, that while links are still important, they're not important as they were. So please, link building. I'm sorry for all of you people. You need to go into conversion rate optimization. That's where the money is. There you go. That That's the hot take of the episode. It's not even a hot take. It's so on point. Marion, this is so much fun. I Okay, are you ready for some rapid fire rankings? Yes, yes. Okay, get your answers ready. Here we go. 
Okay. Put on some music, get the clock going, and... Rank your top three of something, anything that you love. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I confess a fascination for online cooking competitions. Top Chef is my favorite. I always uh, watch it when I'm uh, working on something or I need to be partially paying attention. Um, I love, uh, well, I really do love uh, learning new things and, and diving into like machine learning and, you know, and SEO and all of that. I mean, I can't get enough now on AI and I'm particularly focused on whether or not we need to be conscious to be intelligent. I think that'll be the next big battleground is what is intelligence? Can we define it? Define it. And um, let's see, what else do I love? Well, I love sport dining. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that last. <laughs> I really miss sport dining during the pandemic and I show the uh, impacts of that. I love that. Rank, rank your best SEO or marketing win. Um, which one? What? Your best SEO oh. or marketing win. Oh, uh, well, when I was working at um, an agency that is no longer around, Ascentium, I was sold into indentured servitude to an ungrateful, unhappy client that wanted to rank for subprime loans. So this is in like 2000, probably eight or nine. And I was able to get them ranking number one on Google for subprime loans for gas stations by uh, carpet bombing uh, blogs on subprime loans, which with what I might admit is relevant comments that included a link back to the client site. And I, I think they were mobbed up a little bit. So I was happy that was a win. That's hilarious. I mean, when it works, it works, like you said. Okay, so rank your top three SEO tools. <laughs> well, my number one is one that I've been a subscriber to for years. It's called Ranks NL, and that's literally the um, URL is Ranks, R-A-N-K-S-N-L. Uh, it's uh, uh, It was created and maintained by uh, a lovely man in I want to say either Norway or Finland, long nights. Those guys spend a lot of time on complex um, tools. But it's a wonderful and not very expensive SEO tool that breaks down the content on a page by term and by phrase. So it'll tell you this is how many times this phrase is mentioned and where it's mentioned, if it's in the title or in the description, which strangely enough is how search engines do it. They break down the text and then they create tokens for phrases that are of varied length. It'll also give you Google rankings and other sort of content assessments. Fabulous. Um, SEO for tools is fantastic. I mean, for Excel, I use that all the time to draw in various information on spreadsheets to no end. And I can't I remember my third one. I always forget because they change. I guess I'm going to say um, Google Scholar. I spend yeah. a lot of time in Google Scholar looking up information on how things have been developed and where they started. It's so interesting oh, Google in, in Dev the SES space. Oh yeah, that was the third one. Google DevTools. I love showing clients how much JavaScript is not being used on their pages. <laughs> like this page is seven megabytes, and of the seven megabytes of script, 
only two have been used. So maybe you should get rid of those, like the ones for legacy browsers. Uh, let's see, what other JavaScript you should get rid of? Oh, third-party tracking tools. You know, they're not going to be passing that through anymore. So maybe you should just demote those. Yeah, if you're a technical SEO, I don't know how you don't know Chrome DevTools at this point. Yeah. Um, so rank your best SEO trick or tactic. And I, I mean, is it, is it blog comments? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, blog comments. Oh, man. That was rough duty. Um, I would say the most successful tactic I've had so far for both clients and for colleagues has been the ranking landscape. So I pull all the ranking keywords for a domain, and then I categorize them by position, authority, one through five. Striking distance, six through 15. Opportunity is 16 through 30. And investment is 30 plus. Once you do that, then you can add context as the client needs by tagging for journey. So, and this is done manually because when I go into the data up to my knees, I start noticing things like how people are associating certain types of information that they need, whether it's contact as a result of a customer service issue or for one client, you know, there's like 40,000 searches a month for how to log in. Like, let's let's make that login button a little bigger, should we? You know, 40,000 people that go to Google and say, how do I, you know, log in client name? So ranking landscapes are great, or I use their navigation and you get a topic-based uh, context. So I can tell them, you know, your, um, your awareness content is really high, but your consideration content, if we're doing journey, you need more of that. And that's the consideration content is what moves them into the purchase funnel. Or your content on, your SEO uh, landscape tool section is not really great. And there's a lot of questions about that, but all your content is ranking on page four or below. So what do we need to do to augment that? I, I love that because I've been talking a lot about keyword segmentation across all of those different sort of like dimensions. And, and that is where the value is. Okay, uh, rank your what you love most about SEO. Yeah, I uh, love that it is uh, cross-functional. So that's how I got involved. I didn't start as an SEO, I just picked it up along the way. Um, and that it is immediate, that you can oftentimes see results right away. Rank what your best learning SEO resource. Oh, again, Twitter uh, and people like Mike and Brittany and Jess and Lily Ray and, um, Glenn Gabe, uh, there are a bunch of them out there that I follow and I get a lot of great guidance on. Um, I also listen to webinars such as this uh, and others, although not as often as I could and, and probably I'm more geeking out in the machine learning phase. Uh, and then I, I do find conferences great and it was really tragic for me. The pandemic sort of put an end to my going to conferences, because that's where I learned a lot. But now uh, I'm back on and I'm going to be attending the Engage conference in August. Uh, and what I love about that is it gives me an opportunity to get into uh, paid advertising and analytics, which are my two new areas of SEO fascination. 
Oh, I mean, yes, it's so interesting, the crossover there and the opportunities to learn from each other. Okay, I'm going to ask you probably the most unfair question of the rapid fire rankings. And you mentioned a few already, but rank the top one to three SEOs or marketers that you most admire or look up to or enjoy their content. Well, uh, so the ones I've named, Mike and Lily Ray and Brittany, um, I I I miss Bill Slosky desperately. Uh, and I believe that there are people out there that are stepping into his shoes. Uh, Leiden Darthna on um, Twitter is amazingly gracious and uh, expansive in his guidance to people and hilarious as well. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, just those, those are the ones that spring most readily to mind. And then obviously Search Engine Journal and Search Engine Land, I think do a great job of sort of covering all of the bases. There's so, there's so much content that's pumped out. It's, it's, it's amazing, overwhelming. And then finally, rank your number one cause or charity that you wanna promote. You know, for this, it's so hard. Um, uh, I usually have what, what might be termed an obvious empathy for old dogs. Uh, and so I promote a lot of old dog, uh, old animal um, rescue. But for this, I'm going to call Doctors Without Borders because uh, they are doing such an incredible job in Ukraine and in other conflict areas. Uh, my father was a, um, a, a doctor in uh, World War II. And so he was one of the first responders at Dachau. Uh, we cannot imagine what it is like for these people to be performing complex medical procedures uh, in dirty basements and bombed out buildings. So Doctors Without Borders. That's a great cause. That's that's amazing. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, it, is, it is amazing. I mean, so, and what's amazing about it is, I don't want to take up all the time, is that he was at Dachau and he filmed Lee Miller filming him and they were both filming uh, what was going on. So that was a recent discovery. That's super mad. That's that's really cool. I mean, history, one of the things that I feel like we're very lucky with now is how easy it is to document everything. Obviously, don't want to get caught up in only documenting your life. You have to live it. But there's so much of history that's lost. And I feel like that's not going to be the case going forward because you can you can have these moments kind of um, solidified. Well, one of the questions that I ask my uh, students, uh, the third class we focus on indexing, and I ask them about archiving because we really don't pay much attention to the fact that a lot of what is part of the web is lost every day when things disappear. Uh, And those of us who use the Internet Archive uh, and those of you who have not yet and will, please support this invaluable institution that is saving as much as it can and is also a great SEO tool. I was able to diagnose a um, issue with a client site by going back and looking at previous versions of their robots TXT. Oh, that's where you oh, that's where you made that change. Surprise. I was going to say, it's all there. It's like people yeah. don't realize it's not just a screenshot. Like it's the code, yeah. like shot. They, they, and I've used it so many times too. And especially for guilty pleasures like gold MySpace sites. and. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Oh, that's what it looked like back then. That's horrible. 
you know, we think the sites are, we think the SERPs are busy now. You should go back to like 2001 when they had the eye bleeding, seizure inducing marquee lights that were going around. I don't even know what that was about. And that's how people learned HTML back in the day was how to put on like a glitter, ridiculous, awful glit gif. Um, I say gift, by the way. So, Marion, thank you so much for joining me. This has been this such fun. a fun and interesting conversation. If if people want to get in touch with you, what, what's the best way to get in touch? Where do you hang out online? Uh, basically, I'm on Twitter. That would be the best one. I'm not. A, I'm new to Instagram, and why do they keep recommending people to me? I'll never know. Uh, but Twitter would be the best one. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My name is Garrett Sussman of Eiffel Rank. This has been another episode of the Rankable Podcast. We will catch you next week. See you then.